Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and this is why I stopped listening to 50 Cent in the House. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. <laughs> and if an accident were to befall me on this podcast, folks, know that it wasn't an accident. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I was going to say something similar. If if I die <laughs> too mysteriously. Slow. Too slow, Jeff. <laughs> if I die mysteriously. Well, I'm always third. So, you know, there you go. Uh, if I die mysteriously, it's 100% my wife. Or my kids. It could be my oh. kids. <laughs> Those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Anatomy of a Fall, a movie that's out in limited release right now. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into this one with you. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us across all platforms at the Filmcast Pod, including YouTube and Instagram. We're on TikTok at the Filmcast. Uh, and also, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Little announcement about that. At patreon.com slash film podcast, you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Woo. Uh, next week on the After Dark, we're going to be discussing The Holdovers, the new Alexander Payne movie. That'll be our main conversation on the After Dark next week. So look forward to that at patreon.com slash film podcast. Uh, before we get to what we've been watching and then our uh, weekly plugs and our featured review this week, though, let's talk about some of the film news that's been going on. I'm sure, uh, like you guys, I was shocked to hear this weekend of the passing of Matthew Perry at the age of 54. Yeah. Uh, and I took the opportunity uh, learning about this news to kind of uh, dive into some of his uh, stuff that he put out recently, his memoir uh, about addiction, the five part interview that he gave to Diane Sawyer last year about it. And uh, I came away from this with a, like I already admired him as a comedic talent, but, came away even more admiring of how he tried to help other people through mm -hmm, addiction by mm -hmm. telling his story in quite unflattering terms to himself. You know, he was, he really like laid it all out there in recent years. And that makes his, his passing even more tragic uh, for me. I've just, I've been really, uh, it's, it's really hit me very hard in an unexpected way because I, uh, I I'm not like the hugest friends fan or anything yeah. like that. I, um, I think because he was the best friend like i didn't like opinion, that show yeah. but he was always the best of that show to me or at least the character he just had such a he just had yeah. amazing comedic timing he had this yeah. uh, great persona where he delivered all these sarcastic lines but he never like got annoying you know like he, he was just never was... annoying like ross and he wasn't <laughs> like um wasn't like uh i don't even know jo joey like he wasn't the like the the bonehead like joey right. like he was very down to earth and very I love seeing him pop up in things. We could talk about that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Jeff Canada, did what was your kind of connection with Matthew Perry? Uh, what was your parasocial relationship with Matthew Perry? <laughs> well, um, you know, for people of my generation, Friends was a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. It, uh, I think, what the following generation found in The Office, you know, my generation found with Friends, yeah. it, it yeah. never really was the show that I loved. But it was such a huge part of the just the sort of generational fabric. Uh, you know, it, it's what well, it started in what ninety four, I think, um, which is the year that I graduated from high school. Um, and you know, it's just it just was it was everywhere all the time with everybody. Everybody quoted it. Uh, you know, he, and he was such a big part of it. Um, I became much more um, enamored with his talent, uh, seeing him 
uh, speak Aaron Sorkin dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so the, great as uh, Joe Quincy in The West Wing, right? And Studio also 60. The lead of Studio yeah. 60. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Let us I, never you know, forget Studio 60. I know? think people give that show a hard time. I loved that show. Mm-hmm. He, there, there is a certain type of actor that can make Sorkin dialogue sing. I mean, Sorkin mm. dialogue is great regardless, but certain actors can just make it sing, and he was yeah. one of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, I loved the, what he did with his career post Friends. Uh, and it was sad to see him sort of recede from the spotlight. And just last year, he had been doing the rounds on a lot of talk shows uh, talking about that book and his, you know, his memoir and uh, saying that he was prepping for kind of a a return to acting. And mm-hmm. it's just very sad that that uh, will never come to pass. Um, I mean, he he was in um, the Odd Couple reboot that was out there. And he also popped up in The Good Wife and The Good Fight. And I always mm-hmm. loved it when he popped up because... Yeah, there is something special about his his personality and his performances. His characters always felt like him, and he was always the guy I wanted to hang out with. I think that was it. That was yeah. the key. Uh, I was watching the Diane Sawyer interview, which I, I'd highly recommend. Uh, it is really powerful. Uh, it, it goes deep into a lot of the challenges he's experienced. Uh, he's experienced. And one of the things um, that I didn't realize was he is one of the few people that has been on the number one show on television and had a number one movie at the same time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, which was Friends, and then The Whole Nine Yards came out at the same which time. Which is a really uh, good, very movie. fun movie. I yes. really like The Whole Nine Yards. Yeah. And uh, very few people have achieved. The only other person uh, that he knows about that has achieved that is Michael J. Fox, basically, um, yeah. who was on TV and hit it big with Back to the Future. It's, it's kind time. of the same thing, the affability of him. Yeah. Like he was yeah. the Michael J. Fox of the 90s, basically. Yeah. 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 Um, but yes, uh, like you, Jeff, I was quite impressed with uh, the decisions that he made post Friends. You know, like uh, somewhat. In fact, many of the friends have made really interesting decisions post Friends, yeah. uh, and I think they they have really struggled to not want it to be kind of hemmed in by their personas on that show. And uh, and Matthew Perry showed that he was capable of gravitas while still retaining that classic comedic timing, um, even after the fact. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Matthew Perry, but also would strongly recommend you check out, um, his memoir, uh, which came out recently and also, uh, just, just the, the work that he's been doing, uh, that's not friends, you know, uh, by the way, friends was watched for something on the order of 96 billion minutes, um, in, uh, 20, uh, in, in during the year that COVID occurred mm-hmm, uh, in mm-hmm. 2020, uh, like basically yeah. it, it still retains its popularity. You know, there's some shows that like uh, they were hugely popular, then they go away, they're never heard from again. Uh, but there's some shows like Friends, there's some shows like The Sopranos, uh, Breaking Bad that continue to be discovered by people or read, you know, rewatched by people long after. And it shows that there's some staying power. There's something about those shows that I think keeps people coming back. Well, and I, I think, think Friends is certainly one of them. Certainly during the 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 pandemic when people were looking for comfort in some way, I think that was a, a show that was a particular comfort to a large number of people uh, that, you know, that, that feeling of hanging out of everything is okay of, uh, you yeah. know, being around friends. Yeah. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a piece from his, uh, that, that, that he talked about, I, I believe it's from his memoir that uh, I posted on, on threads this week about, uh, uh, how he wanted to be remembered, and I, I thought I found this very moving. I wanted to share it with you guys. Uh, I, I texted it to you, and I wanted to read it on the air. He says, "Quote: 
when I die, I know people will talk about friends, friends, friends. And I'm glad of that. Happy I've done some solid work as an actor, as well as given people multiple chances to make fun of my struggles in the World Wide Web. But when I die, as far as my so-called accomplishments go, it would be nice if friends were listed far behind the things I did to try to help other people. I know it won't happen, but it would be nice, end quote. Uh, and I just found that very moving. You know, like he he's a guy who experienced mega success and then dedicated the most recent years of his life to try to help other people. And and that's what he wanted to be known for. And I, I think um, it's something worth considering and, and worth trying to honor. So anyway, uh, very, very sad news. And I know a lot of people listening to this also feel mm-hmm. the same way about Matthew Perry. So uh, we join you in remembering him and his work. All right. Before we get to what we've been watching, there's one other piece of news I wanted to mention. Uh, and a lot of people have asked us to talk about this because... This is the kind of thing we cover here on the podcast. Um, And that is that there have been some kerfuffles uh, around the world about Killers of the Flower Moon and whether or not it should have an intermission. Killers of the Flower Moon is currently available in multiple countries and two European cinema chains and one independent theater in Amsterdam have sold tickets to Killers of the Flower Moon with a built-in break. In addition... Uh, one U.S. theater, The Lyric, uh, in Fort Collins, Colorado, showed the historical drama with an intermission until October 26th, but then Paramount and Apple reached out and they said, cut that out, uh, so they have stopped doing that. Uh, Which is sad, Jeff, because you live in the state where you could have seen Killers of the Flower Moon with an intermission. (laughs) Had I only known. Yeah. Had I only known. (laughs) Killers of the Flower Moon is, I think, around three hours and 25 minutes long. Mm -hmm. Um, And this story raises a lot of interesting questions about who controls what the artist's vision is as it's displayed to audiences, right? Um, I'm curious what you guys think about this. Devinder Hardware, what do you think when when you heard this? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I I feel I'm very torn about this news. What do you think? What do you think? I think ultimately the art, the artist's intent should be paramount, right? Yes. Like if, if he wanted an intermission there, like Tarantino did for, uh, what was it, The Hateful Eight? Yes. Then he would have put it there. At the same time, God damn, does this movie need an intermission? Like, <laughs> really? I'm I basically like I have made peace with my life of just I if I need to pee, I get up and I go pee. And I'm gonna miss a little bit of the movie. But you know what? I use my brain to infer what happened in between when I left and when I came back. And it usually <laughs> works out pretty good. Usually I can follow along, you know? So it hasn't been that big of a problem. I usually time it so that I don't miss like a big moment or something. Um, I don't know about so, you guys. You know. I don't know about you guys. When I need to take a bathroom break during a movie, uh-huh. I freaking run. Like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I hustle. <laughs> it's a hustle. <laughs> I am jogging to that bathroom. We call it the Chen hustle over um, here. Yeah. <laughs> I am peeing as quickly as possible. I run back. I sit down. My heart is beating. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm sweating. I, I was thinking, like, it's not a pleasant experience. Is, pleasant is there experience. a way to like? I know Apple is working on ways of using like AirPods to like channel sound. Like, can I leave a phone <laughs> and like keep an AirPod in and go to the bathroom? That would be perfect. I would yeah. sell that app, except yeah. you got to leave your phone in the theater alone. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> leave your phone recording things in a theater. I'm sure they'd love that. They love. Uh, it's Jeff not cannot... recording. It's just broadcast. Yeah, it's broadcast. Yeah. Oh, that's to way you. better. That's way better. Yeah. Um, in all seriousness, Devendra, I actually agree. That's actually not a bad way. And and, and um, this is our the, secret app idea. Nobody steal it. At uh, the, trademark uh, us. At the Cinerama, uh, RIP, which hopefully will one day return, 
in in Seattle, that was what was great about it is you'd go mm-hmm. to the bathroom and they yes. pipe in audio from the movie because it's one screen. You can do because it's one screen. That's right. Yes. That's right. So, so you're you not can't... like spoiling yourself for another movie by going to the bathroom. That's right. Like, that's, that's how right. that can work. Yeah. 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 Jeff Kanata, what's your opinion on this? Well, I, this isn't going to be popular among you guys, but I, I, <laughs> I had a it, feeling it's <laughs> entirely possible that I. I think never... your review, Jeff, was uh, need to pee. Yeah, like first sentence. No, no, right? no, no, no. You <laughs> no, inferred no. that. I said it yeah. was too long. Yes, uh, I've. Uh-huh. I think uh-huh. I've never. I can't think of a time. Uh, let's put it that way. I yeah. cannot think of a time where I have left the theater in the middle of the movie ever, mm. uh, unless I've intended not to return. Yeah, uh, I. I have uh, many. Not many but i have uh, a handful of times uh, been very uncomfortable uh, needed to be <laughs> but i i will not leave i will yeah. not leave um that said so, some I, might say yeah, go ahead jeff go ahead uh-huh. some might say what i was gonna say some might say uh jeff's bladder control is one of his greatest virtues it's, it's maybe incredible. maybe the virtue maybe maybe the only <laughs> maybe yes. the only maybe, virtue. yeah <laughs> Um, Jeff the Camel Canada, they call You know, yeah. <laughs> when I die, they will say, friends, friends, friends. But I just hope they discuss my bladder control. Um, <laughs> Man, can you hold it in? <clears throat> yeah. I, this news, as, as we shared it, uh, I think I sent it to you guys, I want to say. Maybe not. Um, uh, made me lose respect for Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Uh, mm. This is... Uh, I am on the same page as you guys with regard to art, artistic intent. This is incredible, Jeff. And yeah. I, mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, I think artistic intent is, it, as you said, <laughs> should be paramount. But at a certain point, like, uh-huh. get off your high horse, dude. Like, mm. you, if if a few movie theaters here or there want to ha- put an intermission in your too fucking long movie, like, get off your damn high horse. I, I, I it's ridiculous. It's like, what does it hurt? I, I, I am, um, I am chagrined at this. Like, you put the movie out in your preferred state, and most of the people who see it will see it that way. For some, there is a an intermission. I think if if there was some sort of surprise intermission or it wasn't advertised as having an intermission, perhaps uh, you could understand a little bit of uh, frustration. But like to say, stop putting an intermission in my too fucking long movie, like. That's it, it's I find that to be so pretentious and I lose a little respect for the for the creator. It's like it's it, <laughs> realize like look at that and go, well, maybe I, I'm asking people a little too much. Maybe I'm asking people to sit in one spot for too goddamn long. Like, mm-hmm. let's be a little reasonable here. I mean, uh, to be clear, this is also good for the theaters because that is. Five to ten minutes where you could be like, oh, I'm going to get another drink. I'm yes, get another yeah, snack. Yeah, like th- yeah. this is this both helps the consumers and is, is self serving for theaters too. But I, uh, you know, I, it's I, a long I, movie. I it's don't. Long. I don't think of this as merely a pee break. Mm-hmm. There, it's just it's just a lot to ask people to sit in one spot and be quiet for that long in it this is. day and age. You know, but, like uh, you know, we we uh, I don't know. I think you could just get up and pee. You can yeah. just well, get you, or you could just, stretch yeah. your legs, get a bite to eat. Like there's a lot yeah. of things that I need to do in nearly four hours of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it it is. Uh, I don't I don't think this is as big a deal for the artistic intent of the movie to like 
You know what? Well, it, you it made kind a of is because there, there is no TV break. Plus. There is no <laughs> break made for the intermission. Like that is the argument. Yeah, it's, like, no, it's not. It's not part of the. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. But guess yeah. what? You're putting it out on Apple TV Plus where people have a pause button. So it's true. It, you, you, the idea that somehow everybody's going to watch this in the same way. I, it's it's like th- this isn't every movie theater changing your your movie. It's a few of them, and I just I feel like this is. I, I, it's well, first of all, it's Apple. This is an Apple movie, Jeff. I don't know if you've ever dealt with this company directly. You don't, you don't fuck with their shit. You don't, you don't <laughs> yes. mess. Like you don't do anything early. You don't do anything outside the bounds of what they want you to. Otherwise, well, yeah. they will. Don't they get will me started on iTunes. The full weight. <laughs> yeah, they will throw the full weight of Apple at you, and that's a lot of weight. You know, yeah. so I, I think that's very... mostly them than maybe Scorsese. I don't well, know. Well, okay, so. I think it's a combination of a few things. Mm-hmm. First of all, Paramount is distributing the film uh, theatrically. Apple is obviously the producer of the movie, and it'll be on Apple TV+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple people with the production, including Thelma Shoemaker, the editor, has voiced her discontent with the decision to place an intermission. I, I believe it violates She rules. would be the one most hurt by this. It, yes. it violates yeah. some kind of rule, basically, probably some kind of editing rule or or some guild rule that... Or some like business agreement rule that they like theaters are introducing breaks into a theater or displaying them in a way that it's not supposed to be. Well, I wanted to share a few thoughts about this matter. Uh, first of all, I want to point out uh, I, I respect that Jeff feels that the movie's too long, and many people feel that the movie uh, was too long. Uh, I, I don't think Devinger or I felt that way. I, I thought it was a, a fine length, uh, mm-hmm. even if I did need to go to the bathroom. But like artistically, I had no no concerns with the movie being three hours and twenty five minutes long. Uh, I share Devinger's opinion on this, which is that I'm very torn about this whole situation. Uh, on the one hand, I think artists should get to control how their work is presented, and you know, once you have people like Martin Scorsese, oh, sorry, once you have, I, I should say, theaters saying. Uh, they want to interject breaks into movies. Um, who's to say they can't uh, do other things? It's yeah. the kind of thing where movie theaters are allowed to just like stick a commercial in the middle. That exactly. would be yes. pretty offensive and, and exactly. awful. And, and if you don't hold the line at this, then mm-hmm. it, that's possible. Right? Certainly. Like, if you don't tamp this down immediately, I understand. I why think that's, that's a fair point. I I just, I don't think in this case that's what's happening. And I don't think in this case it's the start of a slippery slope. I think in this case, this movie's really fucking long yeah. and they let people have a little break. You and- don't know when a slippery slope is starting, though. Like, here's the <laughs> thing. Like, once some theaters start doing this, we're like, well, this movie is two and a half hours long. It seems pretty long to me. Let's put a snack break in there or something. Like, nothing. There, There is no, like, delineation between that when you would start doing that. I, I also think that uh, yeah, I, I mean, I agree, Devendra, that, you know, that's the case. Um, I, but I'm also really bummed that these theaters have taken steps to make this movie more accessible to people, um, to make mm-hmm, it so it's mm-hmm. a more pleasing experience. And then they're sure. getting kind of rebuked for that. Like, that's a bummer. Um, and then finally, the other thing I would say is that I think there's like some amount of hypocrisy going on here in the sense that um, movies are frequently shown in non-optimal conditions. Yes. Um, yes. They are shown with terrible projection, terrible sound, um, with you know people talking or whatever, it, like th- th- things that are out of the theater's control. And mm-hmm. we don't hear about people giving theaters a hard time about that. Like maybe, maybe they do, but uh, it's not something that is... Uh, I-, I don't know that Apple is prioritizing, hey, every single theater needs to look this good. We're going to send people to check Until it. they buy their own theaters. Like, this is the impetus for the right. Apple theaters. Apple buys AMC, folks. You heard it here first. 
Yeah. Um, but it's it's an unfortunate situation all around, but ultimately I, I come down on the side of Martin Scorsese is fair to want his movies to project it in any way that he wants. Um, but also I wish he would change his mind on this because ultimately mm-hmm. I I think that people should be able to watch this movie with an intermission. Yes, you can leave Different Girl, but you're missing part of the movie. You know, you and are, that's, you that's are. a yes. bummer to miss part of the movie. I, so. I have made peace with that. But what was the uh what was the James Cameron line? Go whenever you want. You'll see my movie, you know, more than once. Go <laughs> Pete whenever you want. I know you'll be back. I I I agree 100% with the way you phrased that, David. I think it was well said. I I I agree that he has the right to do this and and in a And I wish you wouldn't. Wish and I wish you wouldn't. wouldn't. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, those are some of the film news items we wanted to discuss today. Let's get to what we've been watching, folks. Uh, This week, I had a chance to watch Five Nights at Freddy's. This is a movie that was anticipated to make around 50 to $60 million at the box office this week. Uh, And it... Uh, made $78 million domestically. It's one of the biggest movie openings of 2023. It's also a movie that's streaming on Peacock at the same time, uh, which is wild that there's a movie that is available at home could also yeah. make $78 million at the box office. Um, it either shows that people really want that theatrical experience yeah, or they really no don't one, want Peacock. Or no one this is this answers Peacock. the question. Yeah, If a movie debuts on Peacock, does it really exist? Uh, maybe not. Maybe not. Uh, so Five Nights at Freddy's based off a video game, and I by by the way, I, I mm-hmm. think it's no, it's worth noting that this is one of the biggest movies of the year. Yes, and it's also another video game movie, uh, like uh, the other big movie of the year being Super Mario Brothers. Um, yeah, but I think so, notably this is the young generation's video game movie. Like I remember the first time I saw Five Nights at, at Freddy's, like it was my nephew who was like eight years old playing this thing on maybe an iPad. I'm like, what the hell is this? Is this a horror game? I don't know. It looked like almost like one of those talking Tom, you know, uh, talking cat, like iPad games or something. Like it was outside of my worldview. It was mainly for kids. Uh, I, I mean, I think Super Mario Brothers is also a game for the youths today, but you're, you know, you're right that it obviously I mean, it's from the 80s, much earlier, you know, you know, like, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's still relevant today. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. yes, I, I would agree that like Friday night, for, for many people of this generation, this is their Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to be said about the fact that, uh, a, a lot, you know, I, I think a, sig- a significant portion of the audience, uh, something on the order of, let me see. I think I, I actually have the actual number, uh, but it's something like. 36% of the opening night audience was 13 to 17 years old in this for this movie. Hmm. Um, that's the kids, the kids are all right. That's yeah. huge. And it's probably, you know, one of the only times of the year that people that age will see a movie in theaters. Uh, but I mean, judging it, from my local theater, no, I don't know. Like it's always filled with teens. Oh, that's great. Lowly teens. I love that. It's I love great. It. They're, I love they're the it. Future. They're the future. Um, but I think that uh, a lot of, Kids these days probably want to see video games they love remade in a slick way. And we've seen that with Super Mario Brothers, and now we've mm-hmm, seen that with Five mm-hmm. Nights at Freddy's, and both of those movies are massive hits. Um, so anyway, all that said, putting aside the business component. <laughs> but of it, is it any good? I thought this movie was very bad. Uh, oh, I thought this movie no. was <laughs> extremely boring. This is one of the most You're boring. so out of touch, David Chen. I <laughs> don't know what the kids are into. They want bad movies, you see? 
The idea is that there's a security guard named Josh Hutcherson who's hired by... He's named Josh Hutcherson? No, played by Josh Hutcherson. Um, who <laughs> is hired well by, who's, who's hired by Matthew Lillard to um, uh, watch this, uh, be a security guard at this abandoned... Uh, like uh, entertainment, what do you call them? What's a Chuck E. Cheese called? Like a Chuck E. Like, entertain yeah, amusement. I don't know. Amusement restaurants. Like I don't even know <laughs> I don't what they have. A I name. like the, uh, what the designation maybe, is. Maybe is we're Matthew discovering Lillard they don't have a name. <laughs> yeah, they don't have a name. Is Matthew Lillard in there as a scream reference for a generation that will not even get that reference? Man. Uh, he is. He is in the movie. Yeah, uh, he's and, in uh, the that, movie. That is what I can a, say about it. Yeah, hmm. uh, and. <laughs> Uh, so, th but the idea is that oh, inside this uh, Chuck E. Cheese analog, um, there are these animatronic dolls that come to life and they play music, and sometimes they kill people, uh, and they do so in very scaring, scary and terrifying ways that are still somehow appropriate for PG thirteen audiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the kind of premise of the movie. Meanwhile, Josh Hutcherson's mm -hmm. uh, character is dealing with his own demons. Uh, Dave, I must ask you, is the entire movie just him watching security cameras and watching for things that move on the security cameras? It's pretty close That's to that. That's the game. It's right? pretty it's pretty close to that. I mean, the pl the plot of the movie such as it is is completely threadbare. It doesn't really make you care about the movie uh, or its characters. The one thing this movie does have going for it are the animatronics look really cool. Like I think they look very convincing and it's clear a lot of work was put into them. And I think a lot of complaints that critics have had about Five Nights at Freddy's is that the movie is that uh, we don't spend enough time with those animatronics. Like we don't see enough of the kills. We don't see enough of the. Um, there's not enough scares. Like we we just hey you have this amazing thing. Uh, it's like it's my same complaint about Equalizer Three. You got Denzel Washington doing equalizing. Guess what? Not enough equalizing in that movie. You're saying you know, this like, needed a sixth night at Freddy's. Absolutely. I mean, it would have if I hadn't almost died of boredom from the first five nights. <laughs> it's just it's just a very boring movie, in my opinion, where not that much occurs. Uh, that said, I know there's going to be some people listening who, like, th they love this movie. And I just want to say I do not wish to take away your joy from watching this film. If you got a lot out of it, certainly, like, all the power to you. Um, it is just not a movie for me. I did not yeah. feel if, if the purpose of this movie was to get people interested in the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise who were not previously interested in that franchise, it did not succeed for this old man, me. Um, <laughs> but well, but this was, I, this was but, me putting my foot down and saying we're not doing this as a main review. And I have to say, I feel good about good call. that decision. Good call, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, and you know some behind the scenes uh, information about the podcast. Uh, Jeff Kanata in general, uh, I would say is a kind of go along to get along kind of guy. He rarely says like, uh, let's do this movie. He rarely says, let's not do this movie or let's do this movie. It's usually me or Devinder really pulling hard for a movie. Jeff Kanata actively killed, uh, our <laughs> five nights at Freddy's as a main review for this podcast. Yeah. Um, which is extremely rare. He almost never does that. Like, I, I don't think, he, in fact, I don't think you've ever done that as far as I can recall. <laughs> That's probably um, true. Other than when I, we tried to get Saw 10 as a main review. Like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that too. But like, you didn't even, you didn't even actively kill that one. You were just kind of like, I would prefer not to, but like, you didn't actively kill that one. Uh, but Jeff Kanata actively killed the Five Nights at Freddy's for the main review. And I have to say, I think we as a podcast dodged the bullet. Um, uh, yay. I think uh, it was a good idea to not review this movie. Um, well, I'm so, sorry you had to suffer through it. I didn't have to, but I kind of wanted to because I knew this would yeah. be, it, it's, this is a movie that like, 
It's a big He's hit. single-handedly it's keeping the, the theatrical, theatrical yeah. film going alive in this country yeah. right now, yeah. you know? And so, uh, but it is not a movie for me. But again, some cool animatronics, some cool visuals. It just is like so little happens during the movie. And what does happen is just a, a plot that doesn't really do a good job of making you care about the characters, in my opinion. So those are my thoughts on Five Deaths of Freddy's. But if you loved it, uh, let me know why. Slash filmcast at gmail.com. Curious to hear people's thoughts on this movie and what, what they got out of it. Because I, I think it probably does do a fairly faithful job of recreating a lot of the iconic visuals of the franchise. Um, but I don't know that it does much more beyond that. So five nights. Well, I'm sure we're going to get lots more of these movies. So you have yeah. that to look forward to. Yeah. Five Nights at Freddy's streaming right now on Peacock and also available in theaters. Devinder Hardwar, what have you watched this week? Oh, I saw No Hard Feelings, uh, the Jennifer Lawrence comedy, which I think is kind of her reintroduction back back into the world, right? Like she took a break after a while. Uh, we all saw Red Sparrow, right? Um, and I feel like she she is trying to reinvent herself and do more fun things. Jeff, I know you saw this movie as well. Mm-hmm. I really had a lot of fun with this. It kind of feels like a throwback comedy from maybe, you know, a while ago. Honestly, like it's a very simple premise, but even the premise itself, I think, is also based on a real life story. Right. The the pitch is some really, really uppity helicopter parents um, want to hire a woman to help make their um, introverted son a man in in every sense of the word, it seems. And it's uh, that that is essentially it. I thought this movie was a lot of fun. I really like Jennifer Lawrence in this. Um, it's a reminder that she can be fun. You know, and that when she's just not doing like dour spy things or self-serious movies, um, this made me like her again. I think it's well written. There's some fun guest stars that pop up around it, too. Um, yeah, I just thought it was a lot of fun. It, it wasn't like it's not a comedy I will that like has changed my life or anything. But I think it is really well made. And I wish we got more movies like this. What do you think, Jeff? I loved it. I really was. This movie was a complete surprise. We put it on so as good. a lark. My wife and I. And we were laughing our butts off. Uh, it's very funny. As you as you <laughs> laid out, the premise is ridiculous. It's a it's a it's a stretch to even get to it the. It is real though, right? I do remember. Re- is it? Is it? I thought I it was pulled from something. I don't I know about reading that. something it, about it, this. It, yeah. If it is, that seems preposterous. I mean, it just it it felt to me like a pretty uh, uh, <laughs> you know you have to you have to. You have to grant it. it, it it's based on a there real Craigslist. Ad. It is based on yes. a real Craigslist ad, okay, but we don't know enough. like what happened beyond that. Uh, yeah. Well, the other thing too is that well, anyway, I don't want to reveal too much of the movie, but <laughs> I, if you can sort of get past the ridiculous premise, in my opinion, I think the movie, as you said, Devendra, is so much fun. It goes places. It's it's still it, it, Lawrence is willing to be ridiculous and silly mm-hmm. and and uh make fun of herself and be you know sort of vulnerable and goofy and she is an much very much an imperfect character and uh i, I think i just love how willing she is to go there in this movie and she definitely uh, goes there at certain points in this movie too so, <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean there's a there's a pretty funny nude scene and but but you know just like go there as far as like being the uh, you know, being the butt of the joke uh, often. Yeah. Uh, she yeah. is very much the butt of the joke. And it's very, you know, I I thought this movie was hilarious. I had a great time. And my wife did too. We watched, uh, we watched this, like I said, a lot, just kind of put it on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, 15 minutes in, we're like, this is great. So I, I, this was a real surprise for me. 
it just it didn't get enough love i think like in the theaters even though there were some good reviews um also it feels like maybe 20 years ago this would have been a movie about a guy right who was just yes. kind of an asshole and a non-committal and it is well, seeing the tables turned a little i think are it's kind of funny it very much feels like those movies when i was young like yeah. lover boy and can't buy me love and mm-hmm. the secret of my success all these movies that <laughs> i watched a lot of when i was a kid and you're right they're always featured you know the 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 male it's bill uh, murray or something like yeah well yeah yeah it was you know it was always the young you know the young michael j fox or um um what's his name from gray's anatomy the you know the 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 young male trying to you know have sex and it the fact that it, it puts jennifer lawrence in that role is it's a real fun twist on a very established genre that you just don't see anymore and I thought the movie was was much smarter than I would have uh, anticipated. It has it's, a lot of heart too, yeah. I'd say, like mm-hmm. more than you'd think. Well, that's no hard feelings, and it is streaming right now on Netflix, which is how I assumed you guys watched it. Uh, yeah, it had a pretty decent mm-hmm. run at the theaters this past summer. This is going to do gangbusters um, on Netflix. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I imagine the word of mouth is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of one of those movies that's really well designed for Netflix, and also. Movies tend to do better on streaming when they've had a theatrical release because they've gotten a big ad, ad campaign. People know about them. So um, no hard Also, the, the sort of movies we don't see in theaters that much anymore. Yeah. So to see it not do well in the theater is probably not a great sign, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. it did okay. It wasn't horrible, but it didn't do great. Yeah. Um, so It was a yeah. bad summer for this movie. No hard feelings on Netflix. That's something Devendra and Jeff have been watching. Jeff, can I hit us up with something you've been watching? Well, I won't speak too much about this because we're going to be talking about it in the uh, film cast After Dark next week. Uh, but uh, I had a chance to see the new Alexander Payne film, The Holdovers. Uh, and I will just say, uh, my wife and I went to see this together, which is a very rare occurrence these days uh, to be able to go out to the movies from our home <laughs> and uh, the two of us together. Uh, we got a babysitter and we went to this movie screening and um, it just happened to work uh, for a time that worked for us. It wasn't because my wife was like chomping at the bit to see this movie or was a huge Alexander Payne fan. But um, I would say that we both really enjoyed this experience. This is, uh, I would describe this movie as a slow, quiet, sweet film. It It is... Hmm. Uh, well, we'll we'll talk more about it in uh, in in our after dark. But um, it, you know, it is very. It's a small movie. It's a very small movie. Um, it's a lovely little period piece, and it's uh, the kind of story that I think we've seen many, many, many times. It's not doing anything unique or new, but the performances are so lovely. The writing is so lovely. The sort of time it takes to just. It's it's kind of a hangout movie. It's kind of a just being with these characters as they grow and 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 discover each other. And I thought it was lovely. It is a very sweet, slow, quiet film. And mm-hmm. um, you know there aren't a lot of those. Uh, so sometimes you just want frumpy and ornery uh, Giamatti, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that, that's what this seems like. It very much, uh, very much is that you know. But it is it is. Um, it's a lovely little, uh, you know, character piece, and there's some great work from from uh, some of the extended actors in this movie. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk more about it in our after dark, the holdovers. Yeah, and it's out in limited release right now. It's expanding wider this coming weekend, uh, and I'm looking forward to. It. I haven't seen it yet. Looking forward to watching it and talking about it here on the Filmcast After Dark. I had a chance to watch a movie called Reptile. 
Have you guys heard of this movie, Reptile? One of those movies that feels like it doesn't exist because I just see it on Netflix. You know, I was like, oh, Benicio Del Toro. Interesting. Skip past it. Does it, <laughs> it exist, is, Dave? It, it does exist. I would say it does exist. So this is uh, a police procedural thriller on Netflix. It's consistently been on like the top 10 movies of Netflix for the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is directed by Grant Singer. This is Grant Singer's first big movie uh, as far as i can tell he has directed many music videos and shorts and he's also um directed a sean mendes documentary in 2020 uh so he's mostly worked in the musical world and then to then come out with reptile which has like a really amazing cast uh, yeah benicio del toro alicia silverstone and justin timberlake uh all play major roles in this movie and i think justin timberlake gotta say solid actor Solid actor. Um, didn't, didn't think he was bad at all. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was very interesting. And when you have like a... Um, there's a lot of directors who come from the music video world. Um, I want to say like David Fincher, you know, started directing movies sure. and then... Uh, I'm sorry, music videos and then went into to movies. And Spike I always, Jones, a whole bunch of them. Spike yeah. Jones, right. Um, Joseph Kahn. I always find that... Uh, when they make the move to like narrative features, uh, they always choose really interesting compositions. I think because like in a music video, you have so little time to tell the story in a music video. And so like every, every shot, every kind of composition, every setup needs to be really impactful. And I often find that when a music video director transitions into filmmaking, um, their shot choices are really interesting. And I think that's true of Reptile. I think like a lot of interesting shots here. It's not just like, this does not look like it was made for TV movie. You know, it looks like it really, every shot was deliberately thought through in a way that you might not normally find for this kind of material, which is fairly rote police procedural stuff. It's fairly, there was a murder and you have to figure out what the murder was. And there's a few twists. Um, this movie has gotten really negative reviews. I think it's at something like 40 or 50% yeah, on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. Like I, I'm I'm honestly surprised at how negative the reviews have been. Uh, I think one of the reasons the, the reviews are negative, aside from some of the components of the plot not making that much sense, is that the movie is really slow. It's like a very slow, deliberately paced movie. And uh, it relies a lot on those shots that I mentioned. It relies a lot on mood building and so on, right? And And I understand why people would be impatient with that. But... I enjoyed this movie and I would still recommend it because a few reasons, as I said, the, the filmmaking is really interesting, but also uh, all the performances are great. You're, you get to see Benicio Del Toro and Alicia Silverstone as a married couple in this movie. And by the way, Alicia Silverstone, first of all, A, needs to be in more stuff, but B, she's playing a character that's very rare hmm. in one of these police fil- movies, right? Like when you think of a wife character in a police procedural film, there's a bunch of connotations that come to mind. They're usually negative, right? They're usually like the nagging presence that like is preventing the police officer from doing their thing. Or they're usually someone who's just killed to motivate the police officer, you know, like, uh, or there's someone who's put in danger to motivate the police. You know, that's, that's often what that character is. Alicia Silverstone is playing a very different version of what that character is. And I'm not even going to say what it is. I'll just say it's very different. And you, if you want to, if you're intrigued by that, you should discover it for yourself. But I think it's like, it's not what I'm used to seeing from these kinds of movies. And so for the, her, she was a big selling point for this movie for me. So at the end of the day, if you're looking for a deliberately paced 
two plus hour long thriller starring uh, Benicio del Toro and Alicia Silverstone. Uh, I really think that you should give Reptile on Netflix a chance. I, I did not uh, think it deserves its its negative critical reputation. I had a good time with it. Is it an amazing, great film that's going to change your opinion about you know how detective work is done in this country? No, it's not. It's it's very standard, um, very kind of. We've seen these this kind of movie many times before, but I think there's mm-hmm. enough good performances and good style. To Does recommend. it justify the title Reptile? Absolutely not. Um, I, I do feel like are <laughs> they just are... trolling Benicio del Toro for getting older? Like, man, I know his face is getting a little, you know. Well, it's not a, a reference different. to Benicio del Toro or his face. Okay, it's, it's um, it is at the beginning of the movie, uh, at like in the first like five minutes of the movie, one of the characters mm-hmm. finds a um, snake skin that's <clears> been like molted. Yeah, I uh, find those all the time. And it's like, ooh, that's... Uh, they, they think it might be Benicio Del Toro's face. <laughs> oh. it's, omin- it's ominous. It's like, ooh, <laughs> ominous. Um, also, one of the characters has a like a snake tattoo on their back. And Bad those, title. Bad title. As far syndrome. as I can tell, those are the only two references to Reptile. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yes, yes, you could say like, oh, but the bad guys, they're the real reptiles because you don't really, they take many forms. You don't see them coming, you know, like, yeah, you could do mm-hmm. that, but like, that's stupid. And, you know, we got movies out here called Killers of the Flower Moon. That's so evocative. That's a great title. Uh, that's, that's a great, great title. title. Great title. Come on. Great title. Reptile is it is in fact a terrible title. And Devinder Hardor, what is it with people calling movies and TV shows animal names yes. that have very little to do with the sh- the show or the t- you know terriers being the other terrier it, it terriers, kill terriers another terrible you know? title. <laughs> if, still if holding on think, to that from two thousand three or I whatever. If, hold you, on to it forever. If <laughs> you think if you're thinking of titling your movie or TV show an animal because you think it's like really evocative. Mm-hmm. Please don't. Yeah. Maybe don't I call your streaming service Peacock. Nobody will remember <laughs> it. <laughs> That's Reptile. It's streaming right now on Netflix. Okay. Devinder Hardar, what are you watching? Well, watching and playing, I had the rare per- uh, privilege this weekend to spend six hours on a video game. Guys, this is so hard. It's so hard for me to find that time, but I did it for Alan Wake Two. And I just want to shout it out here because I think our audience will be really into what Alan Wake 2 does. I'm a big fan of Remedy Entertainment. Actually, Dave, I believe like Max Payne was like one of the first things we were bonding over to in college. You know, we I've always liked Remedy style yeah, for I, games. I, I, I've mm-hmm. spent, you know, tens of hours, if not hundreds of hours hundreds playing, Ma- playing Max Payne. And, we and, love and it's Max many Payne. mods. I used to install mods and like mm-hmm. play them, you know, as Neo in the Matrix and Max Payne. Also, by the way, there is a rumored Max Payne video game remake yes. uh, coming out. So I'm really I excited mean, about that. I also, so. I mean, I like Max Payne 3, but that wasn't them. But anyway, I really like Remedy. And man, how far Remedy has come when it comes to storytelling and building games. I also loved Control. I loved the original Alan Wake, but that always felt like a, that was a weird game because it felt like it was doing Stephen King, but the game mechanics just couldn't quite like keep up with what they were doing. And now they've built this thing that is essentially a con- like a continuation of the universe that they started in Control. They're also doing this thing where they're sort of like, you know, Alan Wake is... Um, Alan Wake was referenced in Control. We kind of knew things were a bit related. I just find it fascinating what they're doing now. This is an intensely cinematic game that is, um, you know, reminiscent of Control, but also of things like Twin Peaks: The Return, 
There's actually a lot of that in here. David Lynch was a big inspiration for Alan Wake, but I feel like even more so here. It's more like this is David Lynch in Overdrive where, you know, uh, you're playing two characters. Alan Wake is one of them. You're in like a weird um, in one world. You're in like a weird uh, you know, what bad space or a bad, bad place that has subways, like an altered in New York or something. And then at the same time, you're in a, you know, a uh, very weird Pacific Northwest town that's evocative of Twin Peaks. Um, just in terms of what this game is doing when it comes to, it, it's essentially a murder mystery at the beginning. In fact, the opening sequence is you playing somebody who gets murdered. I, I just, just kind of fantastic. Like what they're doing storytelling wise. Um, it is survival horror, but a little more than that, Jeff, I know like you probably have thoughts about this game. Um, yeah. What did you think of it? Yeah. I, Dave, if you, if you loved Max Payne, uh, you play this game and this your is sidekick is, is, is the guy who's the face yeah. of Max Payne. Right? And Sam the Lake? voice, the guy who's the yeah. voice, the two yeah. different guys, the yes, voice and the face play the guy love who's, who's the, so it feels like you're hanging out with Max Payne. I love it. Uh, in the game. Um, yeah. I mean, I, um, this game is very macabre. It is very uh, grim. It is very uh, mean and brutal. Uh, not, not exactly uh, my favorite uh, kind of, uh, tone for a game so i was a bit turned off by it but i do appreciate it it is extremely gorgeous i mean the the mm-hmm. visual fidelity i'm playing it on a pc with a, a very good graphics card and i gotta tell you it is uh, stunning very visually um and it, it does doing some very interesting things and i i also uh, appreciate remedy and their uh desire to kind of push the envelope in that regard it's just not um tonally the kind of thing i i gravitate toward yeah, I, I feel that. I mean, honestly, I like horror games and survival horror games, but they tend to bore me is the thing, right? Like, I like Resident Evil 7. I like Resident Evil Village, but I, I play a couple hours. I'm like, okay, I get it. I, get it. I, I understand what's going on here. This game you're playing, I was like, I don't know what to expect with any of this stuff. And clearly, you guys have watched um, Twin Peaks The Return on repeat and have just, like, l- brought in many elements of that, and um, including the, like, I don't know how you describe it, but there's just sequences of like loud noises of like weird cosmic horror imagery almost. And from what I hear, the game even gets wilder than that. So yeah, if you like David Lynch, I feel like especially like Twin Peaksy stuff going even a little more sci-fi and maybe a little like higher end into the horror. I think you'd really dig this. So I want to shout it out because it feels like you're playing a movie. It looks so good. Uh, That's Alan Wake 2. It's available right now on... All major consoles, or at least Xbox and PS5, as well as Epic Game Store. Yeah, this um, is a very much a next-gen game. Yeah. yeah. Jeff Kanata, hit us up with something else you've been watching. Well, I got an early uh, chance to watch the first four episodes of Invincible Season 2, which is, uh, I think, hitting this Friday on uh, Amazon Prime streaming. Uh, I was a huge fan of the first season. We talked about it at length. I think, um, Devinder, if I recall, you were not too high on it, uh, mostly because of the animation style. But um, I loved the first season. I was a big fan of the comic book uh, back in the day. And um, I think the second season is, as what I've seen so far, the first four episodes, it is delivering. If you were a fan of the first season, you're going to love more of it. Uh, it it maintains that sort of brutal, uh, ultra violent, ultra bloody uh, take on uh, you know a Saturday morning cartoon, um, and uh, uh, the, just the sheer number of ideas 
that are jammed into this show. I mean, it very much is, um, <clears throat> the, the concept is very much a remix of very traditional superhero tropes, very, you know, classic comic book tropes, but Kirkman in the comic and here in the show, um, you know, takes these very familiar ideas, all the superhero power sets and backstories that you would know even peripherally just being a, you know, a, casual fan of comic books or a casual you know awareness of superhero ideas in pop culture he takes them and remixes them in such interesting incisive ways i mean it, it's it's a very adult look at these things but you know there's all, every idea that you can imagine from the you know the bad guys to the good guys all of these very common oh i know what that is a riff on oh i recognize what that is a riff on uh, but he does it, it adds a tweak invariably adds a tweak that makes you kind of re uh, reassess that idea or look at that idea in a fresh way. Uh, I just love it. I, I think the show is great. It's super fun and kinetic. The action sequences are awesome and it takes the characters. I mean, this season is, is kind of dealing with uh, a very common thing in, in, in superhero stuff these days, a, a sort of multiversey uh, uh, idea, um, but it has its own, uh, I think very adult, interesting take on it. That is, uh, it's worth watching. If you're if you're a fan of superhero stuff and you don't mind the very hard R rating, uh, ultra violence that Invincible has, I I can't recommend the show higher. Yeah, to to be clear, Jeff, like I liked the first season. It's just I felt like the animation budget was clearly not up to par with what the show was doing. Right? I feel like they could have gone a little more. Did Did you notice any difference this season? Well, I, it didn't bother me last season. I I didn't do a one to one comparison. I didn't go back mm -hmm. and watch any early episodes to see if it's improved. But certainly, I think the animation is. Um, I thought it was perfectly, um, perfectly good for season two. I, I okay. I'm curious to hear what you think of it if it's improved. Yeah, I'll be checking it out for sure. I'm really curious because. It really, I really wasn't sure. <laughs> Let's just say at the end of season one, they didn't leave it too many places for the, the story to go, in my opinion. You know, I, I, I know it's based well, off of a book. you have a multiverse, David, because, right. yeah. uh, you know, I know it's based possible. off of a book. I know it's based off of a book, and I know, you know, I know people already probably know the ending of the story. So I'm, I'm very curious to find out. But yeah, I watched Invincible season one all the way to the end, and I anticipate I'll, I'll get into this as well. Did you see the special, Jeff, that aired a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago? No, they did a, you know, one of the side characters had her own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I did not watch that. Adam Eve. Right. Uh, yes. There was a special episode about Adam Eve that I thought I heard I heard was great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kept meaning to do it. I never got around to it. Came out came out in uh, July of 2023. So um, uh, something else to check out, perhaps. Uh, when you watched Invincible season two, did it seem like you needed to see have seen that to understand it? It does a previously on uh, recap uh, that, that I thought was that. yeah that I thought was um, very effective. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Cool. So maybe some Adam, you have something to check out before you check out Invisible Season Two. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I I, um, I don't know if it's specifically. Yeah. I, I won't have any context to know if it specifically references that stuff, but maybe. All right. Um. Well, that's Invisible Season Two. That's something else that Jeff Canava has been watching. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be back with more what we've been watching right after this. All right, folks. There's a couple of other things I wanted to mention. Uh, that I've been watching. First of all, I had a chance to see a Netflix movie called The Conference. Have you guys heard about this movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's been doing pretty well on the Netflix charts. Uh, and it's basically like one of the successful horror crossovers that's occurred. This is a Swedish film uh, that is doing pretty good numbers in the United States right now in terms of viewership. 
And I have to say, I quite enjoyed it. It is a very solid slasher movie. Um, the conference is basically picture if Parks and Recreation, right? But a bunch of the people in the show are jerks. And then they start getting killed in very, very gruesome ways one by one. That's kind of what the conference is. Is it about um, a business conference? Yes. It's about oh. this business conference that like... Uh, this, I know uh, that too well. This yeah. corporate retreat. It's not a business conference. It's a okay. corporate retreat okay. that like... You, I, I don't, if you've ever been in a... In a as par- part of a team in a corporation, mm-hmm. um, sometimes what they'll do is they will take you... Uh, on these retreats to do right. team building exercises. That has right? never happened to me, but yeah. I, I know of the idea. Yeah, yeah. Do, or, or you know, at Amazon they would call them offsites. You know, you mm-hmm. go to this thing and uh, you, we do team building exercises, like um, you know, build a like a sack race or build a <laughs> boat using these materials as quickly as possible, or you know, whatever. It, like <laughs> it teaches you how to work together, basically. And so it's a bunch of these people going to one of these team building retreats uh, to both plan, you know, the future of the team and also uh, build team uh, cohesion. And, uh, and then uh, they start, everyone starts getting murdered one by one really brutally. Um, that's the premise of the movie. And uh, the kills are, I think really gruesome, really graphic uh, and a lot of fun. In my opinion, you know, like if you if you're watching a slasher movie, like you're watching because you want to see some good kills, and the conference has some really really effective kills, and and a wide variety of kills. Like everyone, pretty much everyone dies in a different way in the movie. Um, everyone who does die, I'm not saying everyone does die in the movie. I'm just saying everyone who does die dies in a different way. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's not like again, just like Reptile, it's not like a revolutionary film that's going to change your mind about corporate malfeasance or whatever it's just it's just like hey this is a really solid slasher film uh that came over from sweden and uh it's it's a lot of fun so if you're looking for a fun slasher movie i was gonna wait to save this until like next week to talk about it but Mm -hmm. like you know it's um halloween you know this this is probably the last time i could talk about like uh one of these horror movies uh for a for a while at least a couple weeks you know so uh wanted to throw out a recommendation for the conference if you're looking for a great slasher film have you guys ever seen the movie Cedar Rapids? Uh, no, I, but I know I know of, I know it. of it. It's yeah. Ed Helms, right? And yes. Also, it's an insurance thing, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, John C. Right? Riley, Ed Helms. It's it is uh, it, it's yeah, an insurance convention. Uh, they go off to this an insurance convention. That movie has lived rent free in my head. Wow, I think about that movie so often. It's such an odd movie to be have such a outsized space in my brain but the idea the central idea of the movie is like all these people uh from all these different parts of the you know company come together in Iowa for this convention and basically like what happens at the convention stays at the convention kind of deal where like the mm-hmm. but it's hard for me to explain why it resonates with me so much, but this notion that these sort of boring insurance people go to this place and just have debauchery Mm -hmm. for two days. And I just feel like it, it it really is what happens in this country in a lot of industries. And it's so well, I mean, it's obviously it's exaggerated for comedic purposes in the movie, but it's, it, I think of it all the time when I hear about 
you know, people that I meet that are going to the, they're going to the the convention, they're going to the thing. It's like, this is what happens. It's all these people who have these kind of, you know, run of the mill jobs that they don't get a chance to sort of, you know, let loose and they go to this place and it just, I don't know. I don't <laughs> I, th- I think about that movie constantly. And so when you brought up a, you know, a mm. business yeah, it's convention, a, it's a very similar vibes. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. It's not, again, it's not a convention, but it is like, <laughs> I have never been to a work event that has had alcohol at it, but I know that that is like very oh, wow. common in vast portions yeah, of, yeah. um, vast portions of the country and like yeah people just freaking cut loose you know there's like yeah. a lot of uh repression yes. in american society yes. i think yes. a lot of repressed desires uh in american society and so it's uh it's we you know and people who are working jobs that you wouldn't think there would be a lot of you know that they would be super repressed but then, then they go to a convention and then it's like mm-hmm. they have a lot of explaining to do when they get home and there's like a five thousand dollar <laughs> bill you know yeah. or whatever yeah yeah so yeah um but yeah, very similar vibes in the conference. Uh, not not quite the same thing, but very similar vibes. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of people die horribly. Um, so that's the conference on Netflix. I'll mention one last thing uh, that I've been watching this week, which is I had a chance to watch the Al- uh, Thomas Alfredson uh, movie, Michael Fassbender movie, The Snowman. AKA, I give you all the clues. Yes. Uh, I, I watched this movie. I don't know why I chose this week to watch it. I think because, first of all, Danish Syed, friend of the podcast, gifted me this film as a joke uh, years ago. Wow, amazing! Uh, that that joke. Just, what just, a long call. He yeah. gifted me this movie. Like I, I want to say, like three years ago, he sent me this movie as a gift. He did give um, you all the clues. Okay, I think he might have sent it to me on my birthday, if I'm not recall correctly. <laughs> but um, and uh, I never watched it because I heard it was um, awful. <laughs> and but then uh, you were in the mood for an awful movie. So, well, well, well he's in the Fastbender mood now. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was in a Fastbender mood because I watched David Fincher's The Killer, which we'll talk about at a later point. But I also, uh, let's just say, you know, um, there's been some health challenges at the Chen household over the course of the last few weeks. And uh, my, my wife and I have been looking for stuff that isn't taxing, you know, to watch. She's, she's watched, I think, no fewer than 50 hours of The Great British Bake Off over the course of last month. <laughs> um, and so we wanted to watch something that was like, hey, what's not going to tax us very much? Mm-hmm. Uh, so The Snowman, this is a movie that's not supposed to be good, so maybe we don't need to pay close attention to it. Listener, uh, that is wrong because if you're not paying attention to the snowman, you will not understand anything that's going on in this film. In I fact, think that's part of the problem with the movie. Even yeah. if you are paying attention, it's barely comprehensible because Tomas Alfredson actually confessed to not being able to shoot 10 to 15% of the script oh. um, of this film. <laughs> that seems like more than you're a lot probably of able to not shoot and make a movie that's coherent. <laughs> this is one of the least comprehensible movies I've ever seen. It is real bad. By the way, edited by Th- Thelma Shoemaker. So so the thing that's oh, amazing man. about this movie is it was supposed to be directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh-huh. And then he fell off the project, but he's still an executive producer and he's he long kept ten to fifteen percent of the script. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he yeah <laughs> he uh he his longtime collaborator, Thelma Shoemaker, who edits all his movies, including Killers of the Flower Moon, um she edited this film. And I have to say I thought the editing was quite baffling in this movie. I <laughs> there's many I, por- I think maybe she was just trying to save with like imagine the task, right? Here is 90% of a movie. 
There, there's stuff that just, it. There's stuff finish that just it. violates like basic rules of movie continuity. You, you know what I mean? Like, love it. Love like it. If, you, if you watch the first, I'm going to say three minutes of the movie, it's just like, you know, like we are used to a certain cinematic language. Like, mm-hmm. oh, a person approaches, establishing shot of the house, a person approaches the door, cut to inside the house. We see him dusting off his feet, taking off the shoe, you know, whatever. Like, cut to he sits down at the table. Like, we're used to like that kind of pacing. And the first five minutes of this movie completely break all those rules. It's like, <laughs> love it. Person yeah. gets out of car on outside of house. We're inside already. Like he, he's <laughs> doing an activity. It's like, what? Like what is even happening? The perverse this? thing about this is it's making me want to watch this movie. I, yes. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I understand that. And I wouldn't blame you because it, it actually really does almost loop back to it's almost so bad. It's good. Um, Val Kilmer is in this film. Um, but he had some health problems, uh, because of, you know, you may know, like he's had some health issues in recent years, especially if you've seen the movie Val documentary about him. Uh, and so he had kind of swelling of the tongue when he was filming this movie, all of his lines needed to be dubbed in into this film. So like, that's just, it makes for, uh, a, a somewhat disorienting film watching experience. Um, the, the central Central claim of the movie, which is like the poster is, you know, Mr. Detective, I gave you all the clues. You could have saved her, right? That's like on the poster and it's become a meme. He doesn't give him any clues at all, guys. What? <laughs> like, no clues are given, really. I was expecting some clues. Uh, yeah. Which is like, really, like, what is he even talking? It's like stuff like that where you're like, <clears throat> what is he even talking about? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It feels like there's a whole act of this movie that's missing. Um <laughs> Uh, and uh, the 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 really other thing about this movie that's very very silly is there's a serial killer in the movie The Snowman, and Michael Fassbender plays a detective named Harry Hole, uh, who <laughs> his name really? is Harry Hole, who his needs to find Harry Hole. And his they is, it's a set oh. of novels, right? And they say the name Harry Hole no fewer than I'm going to say thirty times during the course of this film, right? Uh, yeah, so choices like, were the made. Great, the, it's look if it isn't the great Harry Hole, like that's kind Do of they, like <laughs> are they winking when they say it? No, it's all done completely straight. Wow. Is it supposed to be pronounced Hole or something? <laughs> like, Harry it's, Hole. It's pronounced Harry, Harry Hole. Hole. It's Harry Hole, and then. Uh, that is a the, South Park level name of a detective. It really, you know, is. the idea is Amazing. that the detective, uh, the detective, like, uh, I'm sorry, the the serial killer leaves a snowman every time he kills someone, right? And it's like a snowman with a frowny face, <laughs> and I think it's supposed to look really threatening, but instead it just looks really silly. You know, it looks oh, like I need, very I need goofy. Matt Barry in this movie to say Harry Hole over Harry there. Hole. It's pr- supposed to be pronounced Hule. This is a Norwegian <laughs> book series. So I do want to hear Matt Barry say Harry Hule. Mm-hmm. Harry mm-hmm. Hole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen. My Honestly, my favorite moment in this movie is um, <laughs> there's a scene when they're talking about Val Kilmer's character. Uh, Harry Hole is talking with a character played by Toby Jones about Val Kilmer's character. And they're like, you know, tell me about Val Kilmer's character. And, you know, they talk about Val Kilmer's character. Oh, you mean then, uh, huge boner? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and then he, he uh, Harry Hole puts down a photo and he says, is this him? Is this him? 
And the photo that is shown is of a man with his head completely blown clean off. Like, Come there's on. no. This is a comedy. No, You're describing a comedy. I, I honestly think that scene happened because Val Kilmer could not come back to film, a, like, to take a photo. Like, he'd already fulfilled his contractual obligation. So they, they needed to build a dummy of Val Kilmer with his head blown off um, to make that scene work. Anyway, it's that kind of stuff that you will find in The Snowman. Wow. It's. It's ridiculous. It's really out there. And it is wild mm-hmm. to watch that movie and then watch David Fincher's The Killer, which is out in theaters right now, in which Michael Fassbender also plays a grizzled whatever, uh, you know, way after he's he's, he's kind of is over Is he a it. killer? Is he a killer? Yeah. Uh, D- TBD on that. Anyway. What's the level of hair re-holes in that, in that movie? Just as- uh, shockingly small. Shockingly small. <laughs> yeah. So, well, although thanks, you do get to see Michael Fassbender in a shower, so I, you know, well, there you go. Okay, okay. Harry yeah. Hole. There you go. We all saw Shame. Um, you're, you've reminded me this movie exists, Dave, and now yeah. I do want to see it too. So. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. If it was shorter, I would say definitely watch it because it's so bad, it's good. But it is really, mm-hmm. I think it's like two hours, so yeah, it is a big commitment. But yeah. Anyway. That is the Snowman. It's available on video <laughs> on demand. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. All right, let's get to weekly plugs, folks. Weekly plugs, a part of show each week where we plug something else we've been making. Over on Decoding TV, I've been recapping and reviewing every episode of Loki Season 2 with Patrick Klepek. And uh, Episode 4, I'm not going to say what happens. I will say it was a shocking episode. Oh, st- not- stuff happens. Stuff That's happened. Good. Huge good. things happen. And honestly, it was shocking. Um, as Patrick Klepek put it to me, there was multiple times he he almost spit out his coffee <laughs> watching episode four of Loki season two. We talk about why over on mm. Decoding TV. Check it out at podcast.decodingtv.com. Uh, Devinder Hardwar, your weekly plug. Sure. Over in the Engadget podcast, we did a whole episode about streaming video price hikes and uh, what's going on there. Uh, we brought on a reporter who I really enjoy, Janko Rutgers, who used to be uh, at Variety. He was Variety's first tech reporter. Um, just to like break down that whole situation, I also did a written piece over at Engadget. But I th- did, didn't we, we talked a bit about this during the After Dark, I think, too. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So I, I did come up to like some more conclusions after we did our discussion. So go listen to this. Uh, yeah, these price hikes will not stop. But you know what's still bad? Cable. Cable's real bad. All right. Check that out. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug? Do you like limericks? Sure, we all do. Would you like one written specifically for you or a loved one? Of course you do. Head over to cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. You can get a bespoke limerick crafted just for you for your special occasion or any occasion by me, delivered via video to you or your friends or your loved ones. It's great. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada, your own limerick. What? Yes, it's true. Also, uh, a book of limericks still available for pre-order at unbound.com. It's called Best Summed Up, the ultimate film limerick quiz book. Best Summed Up over at unbound.com. That was a twofer, guys. I did a twofer. I'm sorry. All right. No worries. Patreon.com slash film podcast. How you can support this podcast. Sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Uh, again, next week we'll be covering the holdovers. Usually we respond to your questions and messages. Last week on the After Dark uh, we talked about a variety of random topics, including the nature of scary films versus disturbing films, as well as the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2 title change. If you want to hear our thoughts on that, 
check out the after dark at patreon.com slash film podcast of course we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you any financial hardship whatsoever you can always support us for free by uh, leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, or sharing our reels over at Instagram.com slash thefilmcastpod. That really does help us out. All right, folks. That's it for Weekly Plugs. Let's get to our review of Anatomy of a Fall. So, as you know, the autopsy report is uh, inconclusive about the cause of death. Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point. Il parle de tromperie. I was honest about it. Mais vous l'avez pas été l'année de sa mort avec cette fille avec qui vous l'avez trompé, pourquoi Il y a quand même quelque chose d'un peu étrange dans cette situation. Vous admettez qu'il était jaloux Non, I don't know, no. Allez, écoutez-vous, on a l'impression que vous l'avez trompé continuellement. Quand il commence à se reprocher des trucs, moi je préfère m'en aller. Tu peux pas me dire qui était le plus énervé des deux Non. Welcome to the film cast review of Anatomy of a Fall. I'm going to read an extremely brief plot summary of this movie. Uh, from the internet, which is a woman is suspected of her husband's murder. Guy fall. Who did it? (laughs) (laughs) Guy breakhead. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, So yeah, uh, this is a crime movie directed by Justine Triette. uh, And crime movie. I I don't know if I'd call it a crime movie. Yeah, sure. Uh, A a drama. How about that? Yeah. Drama drama directed, you know, it's mostly a court drama actually too. So yeah. But, uh, I think um, the less we say about this movie, uh, plot-wise, the better, uh, because I think this is a movie that's really surprising in the way it unfolds, uh, and so we'll have a lot to discuss in spoilers, so let's just start with overall thoughts. Devinder Hardwar, what were your overall thoughts on Anatomy of Fall, which is in limited release in theaters right now? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Like th- This is my favorite kind of... Uh... I guess it's kind of a thriller too, because it's, it's ultimately about like, what, what do you know? What do you not know about the people who love you the most, you know? And it it is, um, it's a very slippery film. I find that really interesting. And, uh, in particular, the performance, uh, the lead performance by Sandra, is it Hewler or Huller? Maybe yeah. Hewler. I have to look that up. Um, but There's I an think umlaut. She, it's pesky. It's a pesky yeah. umlaut. You never know. I don't know. She, she was um, also amazing in uh, Tony Erdman, if anyone yes. has seen that movie. Yes. Uh, yeah. But she, she was great in that. And so it was, it was wonderful to see her again in this movie. But yeah. It's great. And she. it's mainly, this is a movie that mainly rests on her and looking at her face and determining, you know, what she yeah. is saying. And do you believe what she is saying? And I think I, I find that process so fascinating in films. And I think she is a very good uh, face actor because it's very hard to tell what she's thinking at times. But then ultimately it's something that becomes a thing across the entire film. Like what, what does the husband really think? What was their relationship really like? What is the son doing? And what is the motivations of the lawyer who's helping her too? Um, yeah, this movie's fascinating. It's beautiful. It's also very real because it's ultimately about domestic. It's about a domestic relationship and very common problems that couples tend to have. And I found a lot of that really really i don't know just very realistic too like ultimately what this film is about is um a couple like growing distant you know and the motivations for that and the things behind them i think are very very real like things like a lot of people would just experience so yeah i love this movie it is so well made and i love the court elements as well because uh i don't we don't really get to see like french court in action but it's kind of wild Honestly. Apparently it's chaos. It's chaos. Uh, you know, I don't uh, think it's chaos at all. I think it's much more civilized. It's a discussion. 
It's a lot of. It's not. Lot of, well, it's chaos. Yeah. It's chaos. What I mean by that is just like uh, it feels like anyone can talk yeah. at any you time. Can just, right? You like, can just talk. Like yeah. in the in the U.S., it's very like regimented. Like, oh, now mm-hmm. it is time for the witness to. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like you got to wear the places, gowns. You in wear other places, everything. you can't take the Fifth Amendment because there's no yes. Fifth Amendment in other places, yes. right? So, so um, yeah, one lawyer can just get up and say whatever he wants. Yeah, lawyers can just get up and say whatever. They, but okay. you're right. It, you're right, Jeff. It is a very civil conversation. Yeah. All that said, Jeff Canada, what were your overall thoughts on Anatomy of a Fall? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Anatomy of a Fall are best summed up in the form of a limerick. A marriage is more than I do. Can it withstand an outsider's view? This movie is genius. I've never quite seen this inspection of what can be true. Mm, Love it, Jeff. Nicely done. Nicely done. Mm -hmm. I think this is my favorite movie of the year. Whoa! Amazing. And I think this might be in my favorite movies of all time. I was absolutely enraptured by this movie. I I love this movie. I love this movie. And you're so right, Devendra. It is, this is an analysis of a marriage. It is, uh, you know, it very much resonates for me because there is this organism that you create with your spouse that maybe doesn't hold up to outside scrutiny. Maybe taking, plucking one thing out of it here or there or describing a moment or even having a, a very specific moment perfectly represented to a third party doesn't tell the story is the truth, the absolute fact of what happened in your marriage isn't the truth. And as we're living through this time where truth is under attack and the, the, the narratives around things are, are undermining the veracity of what we can even believe with our eyes, here is a movie that shows you all of the subtle nuance of truth. And my God, if, if, if I, you know, I won't speak for anybody else's marriage, but certainly my marriage is one where the truth is a, is, is a thing that exists between my wife and myself on a, in a way that is impenetrable to the outside, right? That mm-hmm. this, this, these these things that can be facts don't necessarily tell the whole story. And you are in this thing, this evolving organism, this, this thing that you have created as two people that only the two of you really understand. And if you one of those people is unable to describe it or weigh in, what does that do? How do you how do you convey the essence of this relationship you have? when you are a lone voice trying to explain it. And this, I've never seen a piece of fiction tackle that particular thing, Mm -hmm. especially in the way this movie does. And I love how much credit it gives to the audience, how it just puts you in and there's, you're just, your, your intelligence is honored. Your, I mean, it, it, it is, this is very much my jam in that it is just people talking. It's just talking heads for two hour plus. And 
it's riveting. It's riveting because there's so much nuance. And it's, I mean, the performance, as you said, Sandra Huller or Huller or however you pronounce her last name, she is, this is a tour de force performance. She's worthy of every accolade you can, you can give her, but she's not alone. Um, the uh, um, uh, Swan Arlong, uh, who plays her sort of lawyer friend, mm-hmm. he is exquisite. The the very dynamic good face the way on that, that guy, like it's yeah. very like great ex- expressions. Yeah, the way this movie is shot, the way it mm-hmm. plays out over, over long takes, the way actors are allowed to interact with each other, the you know the, the characters that come in not explained and just you know plead their case. It is it's th- this movie is awesome. Awesome. It is everything I love about drama. It it is uh, you know, it allows you to live in that place of uncertainty and allows you to like make, you know, it challenges you to make up your own mind about how the th- things that are happening moment to moment. Uh, I, and and it's really about something I think vital uh to our culture at this moment, you know, this notion of truth, this notion of what is real, what what is actually true. And I think it is no small thing that, you know, if you look, um, the two main, uh, the husband and wife characters are named the same names as the actors that play them. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a, that's mm-hmm. a coincidence. I know this movie was written for Sandra Huller, um, uh, specifically. And I suspect that this is a very, um, you know, personal exploration here and you see all of that you see that texture that nuance you see her just beautiful contained the the love that she has for her child and what the child has gone through and i mean i love this movie i think this movie is an absolute triumph a gem and i hope everybody watches it. i love the way it uses language i love the way that some characters are able to speak uh, in in some languages and not in other languages, and the way that language is a tool and it has shortcomings, and it's just I would I wouldn't change a single second of it. I love this movie. I love this movie. Uh, I'm so glad you got Great. so much out of it, Jeff. And yeah, uh, I, I agree with a, a lot of what you said. Pretty much everything you said. I remember reading an interview with Frank Rich, the writer and uh, executive producer of Succession one time a long time ago, talking about the Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton marriage. And something he said that, like, I read in an interview, it stuck with me for so many years. He's like, nobody knows what's in anyone else's marriage. Mm-hmm. No one knows what's in anyone else's marriage. and Except for Will the, and Jada Smith. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the thing is, people think they know. That's the problem, right? If, if no one thought they knew, then that wouldn't be a problem. But everyone thinks they know. And what you're really doing is you are looking at a piece of paper through a straw. Mm-hmm. And you're like getting a little glimpse and you think you know what the whole picture is. But at any given point, you just know a tiny, tiny piece of it. You know one headline's worth of information about a full lived experience, an organism, as Jeff Kanata has put it. And... Uh, that's what this movie is about, right? It's about how, A, no one knows what's in anyone else's marriage. Um, And it's about how we should, in my opinion, you know, this is what I took away, we should always question our assumptions. We think we take away one piece. We're like, I know (laughs) know what's going on. I've seen this story before. I know what this is. And what this movie presumes is, what if you haven't? 
What yeah. if this is not something you can fully know or understand? It's very Rashomon, um, except very intimate, because it's ultimately mm-hmm. about two people. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, I want to point out, uh, Justine Triette, uh, yeah. who is the director of this film, also wrote the film with uh, her partner, if I'm not mistaken. I think so, that's like the personal element. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the movie is brilliant at illustrating that point. And then, like, beyond that, like, that's already amazing, the way it, in which it goes about that. But then beyond that, it's just really about uh, how this one single event can, like, impact all these other lives around them. One of the most powerful pieces of writing I've ever read is uh, from The Atlantic. Uh, I'd strongly recommend this article. I think it won a Pulitzer Prize or something along those lines. It's called What Bobby McIlvain Left Behind. This is a real life, that's a real life piece of journalism about a, a man named Bobby McIlvain who died on September 11th, 2020, uh, 2001. Uh, and then basically it like visits their, his relatives like decades after the fact to see like how that death like reverberated all these years later and like how it changed, like people's lives completely altered. Like they're, if, if Bobby McIlvain had lived, like their lives would be completely different today. And, uh, and it kind of goes down each of those pathways and explores it in a really fascinating and in my opinion, compassionate way. Uh, and that's very similar to this movie where like, there's a single event that like you divide your life into before the event happened and after the event happened. Right. There's actually two and of them in this movie, but yes. Fair, fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, but it's basically about how like one event can like cascade down throughout months, years, and uh, and leave an impact. And and the way it does that, I think, is really, really well done as well. Performances are all amazing. Um, the the editing is amazing. The the filmmaking decisions, many of which are very deliberate, yes, uh, are all amazing. Um, so. I mean, yeah, this is one of the best films of the year. You need to watch it as soon as you can in theaters if you can. It'll be on video demand soon, but yeah. Uh, Anatomy of a Fall. We all loved it. Home run movie. Good stuff. Check it out. All right. Sandra Huller, by the way, is going to be in. She yeah. is in Zone of Interest. Zone of Interest. Which is another yeah. movie Amazing we're interested. year for her. Yeah. Great year for her. Amazing oh, wow. year for her. Yeah, she is. So. What, a, what a talent. She's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Lots more to discuss. Let's talk about spoilers for uh, Anatomy of a Fall starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right, I'm so glad we can talk about spoilers now, because there's so... Yeah. Much to discuss. I right. mean, we don't know anything. Well, ultimately, <laughs> spoiler. You're so right about uh, the filmmaking choices, though, Dave. Mm-hmm. It's it, like there's so many beautiful, exquisite choices. I'll just I'll just shoot a couple at you that come to mind, just off off the off the dome. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, opening scene, incredible. Um, the way in which it's very disorienting. The way yeah. in which it's, it opens, like you're in this house, you never see the husband alive. I don't think that's um, right. Except until for the flashbacks. flashbacks. Until yeah. the flashback, right? And uh, it's this like really confusing conversation where you you're clearly like in the middle of these marital dynamics that you don't understand, uh, and then like this guest, this interviewer leaves the house, and then the next thing you know, something horrible has happened, and then you see a shot of you see like sh- shots, like static shots around the house, like there's like a mm-hmm. shot of the first floor, and then a shot of the attic, and there's like a little laptop playing the Fifty Cent music, and the window is open. And that's all you see. And then you don't even understand like 
what the context is for that. And then you slowly kind of start to piece it together as the movie goes on. Um, another thing I think is really amazing was the flashback, Jeff, that you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, what you're you shown o- and what you're, you're not only shown. shown like parts of the dialogue, but then when things get violent, you it cuts back to the courtroom and you don't know what happens. Un- it, that is a perfect incredible choice. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, it's just the whole movie wants you to exist in the ambiguity. It wants you to exist in the not knowing. And you are kind of in the role of the judge or the juror, right? You're trying to like put it together. You don't have, you don't know how it unfolded. Right. Do you guys have a theory? <laughs> do you guys have a, do you have a conclusion? <laughs> I as don't to, think like, what it you matters. Think of- I don't think it matters. I mean, I, I, I was rooting for her innocence the whole time. Yeah. Uh, uh, because I love her so much, but I think, I don't think it matters. I think mm-hmm. that the, the, it, it is, I was fairly certain throughout that we weren't going to get an answer. And I think that is the, uh, the point. That's the point is that we can't know. We can't know. There's no way to know. And we can't Mm -hmm. know. And you just have to, that's just life. I agree agree that that is the point of the movie. And, and in fact, uh, I was reading some interviews and Sandra Huller was like, Asked the director on multiple occasions. So she, did she do it or not? And like the direct, <laughs> the director refused to like reveal that information. Yeah, uh, which I thought was great. I, I think but, we we have the answer we want, right? Like I want her to be innocent because uh, honestly, we were introduced to the husband being a prick, like just being <laughs> kind of an like who does that, you know? But, like who he's being very specific there, what he's doing. Yeah, yeah ag- agree completely. But Jeff, I will say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree that that's the point is like, we, we're not supposed to know Yeah, that's, it, it is explicitly what the director said, but I will praise the movie and say that I appreciate that right until the very end, you could come to either conclusion. Sure. Like, yes. There is nothing in the yes. movie that prevents one interpretation yes. or, or the other. Um, I, I, I got I was, really worried toward the end mm-hmm. that it was going to come out and tell mm-hmm. me. And I was like, please don't, please don't, please don't. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, of course it did not. And but, then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think one of the reasons that the direct, you know, you, you say, you know, even Sandra Huller was like, you know, tell me. And the director was like, well, I, I suspect it's entirely possible. The director didn't know because mm-hmm. that's not, it's like, it's, it's about, it's about that place. And I think as, if you're playing that part, you have to decide, you have to make a decision yeah. whether you did it or not. Um, but like, that's the, the, you know, it it is this little prism that we're trying to look into and we can't, we just get ourselves reflected back at us. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that's, what's so beautiful about it. I'll I'll tell you why I don't think it matters too much because like, ultimately the truth is I want her to be innocent, but also I kind of want this character to have a better and a happier life. And given everything we see in the movie, like her better life doesn't have her husband in it. (laughs) Like that is, that is kind of the thing I'm just seeing too. Like that flashback to their argument together where she, that is a really fascinating argument because the weight escalates from being something that I think is very, very normal and something we experience every day to being violent. Like when the camera cuts away and we're just hearing the aftermath of that, that is everything laid bare, right? That's the entire history of their relationship kind of coming up, which often happens in arguments, but also I guess I found very little sympathetic about the husband, right? Like I found, I found a sympathetic, like he may be dealing with guilt, you know, about what happened to the son. He may be feeling bad that his career isn't as, as good as his wife's. And certainly he feels slighted that she took a core idea of his, right? But at the end of the day, all I hear is somebody like, 
really not not really like really wrestling with his own responsibility for the world yeah. and how he's approaching things. So it's like he's a frustrating character. At well, the end of the day I me. disagree a hundred percent with that. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I I, so go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. I mean, I, I we'll all know. have our own interpretations. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, yours yeah. is entirely valid. I, 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 but I, I, um, the event with the sun mm-hmm. is catastrophic. Um, you know, and I don't know how much I should say, but mm-hmm. as somebody who has lived through a moment of before and after with, with your child, um, nothing is the same, mm-hmm. nothing. And what that does to the dynamic that you had established with your spouse is I don't think he is unsympathetic. I will say that mm-hmm. he, he he behaves in some ways that I wouldn't um, yeah. wouldn't want for myself. I, I but think the movie would have been stronger if we saw at least one thing where he is, I guess, like a little more sympathetic. Like that's, I, 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 I think, don't. I, think, I felt yeah. like that was. Lacking. I think that but conversation. Yeah. I agree with Jeff. I think mm-hmm. that conversation is instructive. Uh, I watched this movie with my wife. She mm-hmm. said, "What's fascinating about that conversation is." Both of those people are 100% accurate in yes. describing their own lived truth. Yeah. Like, which is saying, how most marriage right, arguments he, are. He's yeah. saying, like, hey, I have felt like unsupported. And, you know, she's like, well, hey, you don't feel you have enough time, make some more time. Now, here's the thing she's not, it's not necessarily uh, her responsibility to help him. Uh, but she's also refusing to help it, right? It's like, very, very German she, of her, right? Yeah, she's like, like a very oh, sensibility. Just, just yeah, make your yeah. own time. You know, like whatever you're going through, like it's not, I'm not, sorry, mm-hmm. that's not my, I'm not dealing with that, you know? Well, I don't, and, but also don't she know is, he, she has gone, like they both yeah. have gone through the same event. Yes. But, and he needs something yeah. that she's incapable of giving and he needs something that she's incapable of giving. Exactly, it's, exactly. It, 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 their needs have not aligned. Yeah. Uh, with each other, and that, I, I that's what like, that conversation yeah. reveals. So, yeah. so, but, uh, so, yes, I, I, I'm coming with Jeff. Is like I don't find him unsympathetic. Could he have done things differently? Yes, but like also, um, he's he's clearly like deeply troubled and yeah. you know tortured and a struggling artist on top of all those things. And what's great about the movie is also like it, it invites you to like try to build a story based off of what we know about these people. And then it mm-hmm. tries to like change that story as the movie goes on. And in this case, it's like the story of this, these lot, these people's lives are like um, sad in many ways, right? Because it's like, they're living in this, especially for uh, Sandra, Sandra's mm-hmm. character, right? Like she's living in this country. She doesn't want to live in, in a place. She doesn't want to live in speaking in the middle of nowhere, in the middle yeah. of nowhere. And like, Imagine living in a house that's like under construction, like most of the time you've been in it. You know, it's yeah. like very disorienting. You know, like life hasn't she, ended up how either of these people. And from her right. perspective, she did th- she did that for him. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, it is an incredibly yeah. selfless act from her perspective. Absolutely. Right. So Absolutely. to say, oh, she didn't do anything for him is not accurate to her lived experience. Exactly. Right? But from yeah. his perspective, that's not what he wants at all. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. th- yeah. This this is life, right? This yes. is yes. how marriages are. That you just like, hey, I'm doing. What are you talking about? I don't do anything around here. I do all this stuff. Oh, yeah. but that's not what I need. You know, yes. the, the way we mm-hmm. speak mm-hmm. in different languages, and this movie is about speaking in different languages. It's yeah. like, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. In that it's respect, brilliant. and the, you know, the the. the 
the central, I, I love the title too, Anatomy of a Fall, right? Because we're talking about the, the anatomy of the fall of their marriage, the fall of this relationship, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, what happened to their son is this sort of defining thing that changed literally everything, right? Everything. And it, it, it doesn't mean they don't love each other. It doesn't mean that their relationship is not a, 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 is still a living organism, but it, it has affected their dynamic in a way they haven't rectified, right? And she never gets a chance to because he's dead, right? So we don't know if she did it or not. I'm inclined to believe that she did not. But it also, it's a weird way to commit suicide and a weird time to commit. Like, it, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. None of it makes mm -hmm. any sense. And I think that's what's so beautiful about it, too, is that none of it makes sense. And that's how life yeah. tends to feel a lot of the time. You know, Life doesn't have a three-act structure. You know, like, things don't always lead to one a, big conclusion. A, a right? plus like, B does not always equal C, you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think I, my main thing is that I, I do feel like they would just be happier apart. Like given that conversation, just given the dynamics we've seen of this relationship, it seems it seems rough. I felt really bad for this couple, right? If I were friends with them, right, what would your advice be to to the husband or to the wife? And they're they're I don't know. I don't know. I, don't don't know. Know. I mean, I I I don't know. I, I it's it I don't think it's as it's yeah. not as as clear cut to me as all that for pers yeah. personally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would. I think I'm on. I'm on Jeff's side on on that point. I love how methodical the early parts of the movie are. Like the way the movie is structured is it kind of like shows you a scene and then it will cut forward in time to the next scene. That's how most movies are structured. But like, um, but it will cut forward to basically like a, another really relevant moment in time. Um, and I love how like it it shows you kind of. It, it withholds the most important information. And then after that, it shows you like everything that's important, which is mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite moments is when the lawyer uh, who's played by Swan, uh, Swan Arlode uh, is doing a walkthrough with Sandra upstairs. And then like, you see how much work it takes to like open the window. Like you see, like he has to like, it's so awkward to like open the window and come yeah. back. It's such a small cramped space. Um, and, and then you learn like the layout of the house and then you start, you know, and then you have the same questions as the prosecutor has, which is like, so you were doing work. You're trying to sleep it's, while all this music was blasting. So, you know, like, it's so yeah. brilliant though, that he's not just her lawyer. He is, mm -hmm. he has, he is, he has invested. Sympathies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The fact yeah. that he is this long time friend and knew the two of them as a couple, like that it's such a brilliant aspect of the movie that you, you are sort of inside his experience too, where he's like, he's, he's a professional. He's got these. And that moment yeah. where he says to her, like, nobody's going to believe it. I don't believe it. Mm -hmm. Like it's an amazing moment, an amazing yeah. moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, I loved him. I loved him so much. I'm like, I want to see other movies this dude's been in. Like he's amazing. Just how everything is so understated and beautiful and intimate and, yeah, I just I just can't believe how good this movie is. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say this is completely irrelevant to any conversation we've had so far, but I I don't think she did it because I think I think the way the um the process like the stuff that would have to happen for her yes. to have done it is so yes. implausible. Yeah. Um, like they would have to have an argument. 
And they show, they show like a vision of what that would look like. They're having an argument and then she hits him and then he falls over. And then like only three blood spatters get on this one point. You know, it's just like, I don't know, man. Um, uh, the the <laughs> I, melting I, of the DNA. Yeah, the melting. That was, was just oh, like, oh, that's very convincing. So brilliant. That's brilliant. Ooh. It was like, oh, like if you were in court when that happened, that'd be like Dude, the yeah. incredible the moment. The shot right? of yeah. seeing the dummy fall and hit yes. off the thing and you're like, yeah. oh yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Of course it is. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Um, so And that, I, that horrible sequence where they like make the kid try to hear it outside oh, yeah. at different volume levels. Yeah. Uh, and him changing his story to and yes. also what he does with the dog. Like I do you don't know what people why people are doing what they're doing. You know, I do feel like after a certain point his mission is like I got to save my mom. That's all that's all I'm going to do here. I do something Yeah, yeah. What was your yeah. interpretation of what was going on there? Because I actually mm-hmm. maybe I'm He wrong was trying about this. to confirm his mom's story. So, so I, I think I'm, he's just a kid yeah. being a kid like it's overwhelming and he doesn't quite no, remember I, I it right. Mom, like it is yeah, it's, the, yeah. another ambiguity. That is yeah. a very the thing is, sure. if, I went back and, and uh, rewatched the opening scene of the movie, yep. um, and it does. Um, I don't believe there is a scene where he hears the argument from outside. No, he doesn't. Right. So no, we what never that means it. is no. that maybe it was true that he heard it when he was inside, and he changed his story because he really mis- misremembered it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with you; it is ambiguous because it, it does certainly seem yeah. extremely suspicious the way he's. But doing again, it. this is how. Yeah. You know, this is how human beings are, right? And and that's what I love too. You know, we think uh, these these courtroom dramas. You know, it's so these clean cut sort of Perry Mason dramas yeah. of, of yesteryear, where like I was an eyewitness to the. And it's like, well, the truth of it is, eyewitnesses are pretty freaking unreliable yeah. most yeah. of the time because yeah. our brain doesn't see the world truthfully a lot of the time. You know, and our memory fucks with us, and like, it, I just love that this movie is in that place of of really what how emotion plays on the memory how emotion plays on the mind and you don't know because yeah of course that kid loves his parents and wants to be the right you know and and like all of the that stuff about you know the woman who has to come in and take care of him and and he you know that that sequence with the dog i don't even know how the hell they did that that's wild it's yeah. unbelievable it, <laughs> yeah because it looks like the dog has died it's like they really mm-hmm. drugged the dog and then the dog just comes back to life yeah. at one point yeah. like it behaves wow. like a dog that would have come out of a stupor right. with the yeah. tongue stick sticking out i was like i don't i don't know how you do that yeah, yeah. i was, I was like, expecting oh, like i was a, like oh they use they use the dummy of a dog in this well, scene well i was expecting then, te- mm-hmm. text to come up on the screen that said no animals were harmed <laughs> <laughs> like in the context of no this is a french film uh yes we did harm it yeah Yeah. i do also want to give a shout out to one of my favorite characters from the movie who's the basically the prosecutor played by (laughs) antoine reinhardt's so good Uh, he he basically such a good troll i I don't know i don't understand the language he's speaking he's all subtitled but Mm -hmm. i can tell i would think that guy is a dick if i was watching it in english big george costanza energy but everything he's saying is reasonable yes you want that you want the dick to be the prosecutor. Mm-hmm. You want right, that exactly. kind of dick. Hundred percent, hundred percent. And I also, uh, by the way, you, you know, Devinger, I felt this, the same way you did. Mm-hmm. That was the conclusion I came about, like the kid at the end. Yeah, where um, he's like, I was like, ultimately, at the end of the day, the kid is deciding whether his mom is still going to be in the world, like yes. in yes. some ways, right? Like, is she going to be part of society or not? And ultimately, maybe he's decided, regardless of you, you can decide what the kid thinks, but like. Mm-hmm. My my where my heart went is the kids thinking, um, 
regardless of whether mom did it or not, maybe she still deserves to be in the world. Like, yep. and you know, maybe he doesn't think that she did it, but then he gives that speech at the end. And you could also take that at face value, which is like, I can't see my mom doing it. I can see my dad actually jumping of his own volition. And then he, he gives the yep. whole story. It's very powerful, very moving. And then the prosecutor steps in and is like, I just want to remind everyone, don't listen to anything that I got to This whole system yeah. is kind of uh, problematic. Yeah. Just uh, FYI, yeah. everything you've just heard. Kids be, kids be dumb. Yeah. Let's, uh, yeah. do, do not listen to anything he has just said. I'm, it is irrelevant. One, another of my favorite sequences yeah. in the movie is when they read from her book mm. in, in court. Yeah. And this like notion of like, well, she wrote about it. Oh, whoa, that does sound bad. It's like, this whole thing of like, well, what's the truth? Yeah. She literally, the first moment of the movie in the interview is like, my goal is to write in such a way that you don't know what is true and what is not. Like that's her goal is to use life in a way that blends that line. And so the movie is doing that as well. And her life is doing that. And then you get in this moment, this amazing moment where they're like, Oh, she wrote about thinking about murdering her husband. And it's like, well, no, this character is insane. And do we let art, <laughs> he has that great line of like, yeah. oh, so I guess Stephen King is a mass murderer. You know? <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's all about like how art, what does art, where does that place that art comes from? Is it come from any place of truth or do we have artistic license? Ah, dude, I, I can't believe how so good, good this movie is. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks. Any other thoughts on the movie? Any other sequences you wanted to highlight, Jeff? You good were dog about, like, actor. That, good I mean, dog good, actor. Dog good child actor yeah. as well. I thought it was nice the relationship the son had with the court appointee. Like mm -hmm. that was kind of nice. Where like you can you can imagine like that person becoming a friend and becoming like a part of your life after a year. Yeah. You know. Um. So I thought that was like a really interesting that, that, dynamic. That moment where he's like. Do you think she did it? Right. And she's like, and, I and can't she doesn't betray. Answer she, she doesn't that. answer. Yeah. It. And she's I, like, that I was great. So amazing. Yeah. yeah. That was great. That, I love that. Uh, you know, because she would have been stepping over a line if she said something, right? Yeah. So can we yeah. talk about the the last moment between Sandra and the lawyer at the end? Because mm -hmm. I feel like that is another one of those like he leans in for a hug and more, and she's like, Nah. I, 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 is I, it? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't I know. Saw, so I saw yeah. it from his perspective. Yes, which is, this is inappropriate. Which is nothing can happen or else it will yeah. destroy my career, basically. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it, it, imagine if he was like, he fell in love with his client. That would be like, his thing would be over. It would be a is, huge is scandal. Is that uncalled for in France? I don't know. I feel it'd like. It would be a huge scandal. It'd be yeah, so, Have you seen that court? It's chaos in there, right? <laughs> I, I felt it, yeah, yeah. he had to keep a distance, but yeah, there, yeah, yeah. There, that there is affection there. But That's she kind of was the one, it felt like she was the one not pulling in, whereas he was like leaning in for something. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. gotta well, say, I, I, I know we talked about this briefly already, but I, I did not interpret the process of the courtroom as being chaotic. I, I was like, this is way more civilized. Look at how they can be civilized and have a discussion. And I if it's know. relevant to talk to you right now, I can talk to you right now. I don't have to wait <laughs> until three weeks from now when you take the stand. We're a society, Jeff. We need to have rules, okay? I, I just thought that was <laughs> phenomenal. And the way she could like directly cross-examine the psychiatrist dude, mm -hmm. which by right. the way, another amazing moment where the psychiatrist yep. is like, no, he hated you. She's like, you don't know anything about <laughs> us, you fuck. Right. Like, should you be saying this in court? Yeah, yeah. that was like, huh? that's the thing. It's like a lot of the prosecutor people, like, I didn't like all those, all their expert witnesses. Like the guy who's like, mm -hmm. well, the blood spatter could have only happened this way. It's like, 
even I like doesn't even pass the smell test with me like a civilian of like yeah that's yeah. the one that's the one way was like <laughs> you know he gets hit in the head with a blood object and then it falls like three stories in this exact pattern like that's complete nonsense anyway yes yeah, I, but that's yeah, kind of how it goes down right they get yeah. the, the the expert that says they're expert yeah it's a very accurate representation. Um, and I love that you you have both experts. That's cool that they have both experts. Like yeah, that two lady. Different the lady was rad. Oh, she's awesome. Oh, am I supposed to be like this? I'll bend back. Oh, oh, ow, oh no, no, no! I can. Bust. That's so great. She's so good. She's so good. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. But that other... psychiatrist moment was so great because it's like, oh, we get to literally have the defendant cross-examine the. This is amazing. I love this. <laughs> uh, another thing, by the way, uh, my, my wife pointed this out was. Um, how the verdict is revealed is also really interesting. I don't know if you remember, but usually you're usually like 99% of the time. I just watched the movie, the Kane mutiny court martial, like literally the way the verdict is revealed is you're in the courtroom yeah. and somebody stands up and they're like, we, the so-and-so the most dramatic the way that's the most dramatic. The, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then in this movie, Nope, they're not doing any, they, at every turn, they're like subverting what you think will happen. Um, I think it's a, the you actually never hear it said. It's like you hear a news reporter yeah, the news hearing the, it. Yeah, yeah. You hear the news reporters rea- you see the reaction, but you don't hear any audio. Yeah. Um and I just that's just a really interesting Incredible. way of revealing that the, information. The other moment yeah. that, that I kind of lost my shit was when it, it was like one year later and I was like, Oh yeah. my god, what is this? And I was like, oh no, it's just because trials are freaking long. Right. They take, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. being realistic in the fact that it's not gonna be next we, week that the trial happens. We all gasped. We were like, is this trial over? Like yeah, is it, yeah. has, it, has the thing like, already happened? Like is cause I was like, is this gonna be about how like this event reverberates throughout their lives for right. the, for afterwards. Um, but no, it's just, it's no, just, it's just that's the reality of how yeah. trials work. They can't just be like next week. They have to be <laughs> yeah. like one year later. But most, so. m- most shows or, you know, things about trials, they don't pay attention yeah, don't, to that detail, you know? Yeah. Well, on law and order, they do say like, you know, so McCoy versus Kanata trial part 58. So they do like indicate that there's like, yeah, some kind of, but you're right. Like they don't give you, this movie gives you a full kind of yeah. feeling of the passage of time uh, in a way that these movies don't. So for the record, I did nothing to McCoy. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Any other thoughts guys? Or should we wrap it up there? Good movie. Great. Good movie. movie. Great Incredible. movie. Yeah. I hope uh, it gets that, some Oscar love. I really do. It just feels like kind of movie that'll fall through the cracks, but I uh, hope more, more it's people gotten see a lot it. of buzz in festivals. So yeah, it did. Yeah. Go, it won the Palm d'Or, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it did. So yeah. Good for it. And check it out if you can. It's one of the best movies of the year. And at the end of the day, it is really impressive that Justine Triette made a movie. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Patreon.com slash filmpodcast, how you can support this show. Music for this podcast. The theme song w- comes from Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Our spoiler and bumper and weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross, who also edited this podcast. Next week on the podcast, it's time for a Sofia Coppola joint. Priscilla is the movie that we're going to be reviewing. You know what, guys? I would. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the Elvis movie that's on Max. I'm uh, going to at this point. I yeah. would recommend oh, the Baz Luhrmann one. The Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah, it, it is I a very not. interesting companion piece to this movie because I think a movie like Priscilla is really, in some ways, about how the what the what the it is in dialogue with the popular imagination of who Elvis was, right? Like you can't make a movie about Priscilla without playing off of what we think of Elvis. And I think the Baz Luhrmann movie Elvis helps to create 
mm-hmm. helps to cement, helps to like establish <laughs> what that vision is. So yeah. I think they're really interesting companion pieces to each other, and they're really, really different films. Um, but yeah, next week on the podcast, it's going to be uh, Priscilla, New Sophia Coppola movie, After Dark. It's going to be The Holdovers. Should be a lot to discuss. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.